I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Joining me by phone today, because he is extremely busy, is the General Director of Opera Delaware, Brendan Cook. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me, and, and by phone. I think all of us in the arts are extremely busy. So. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule uh, to join us today to talk about Opera Delaware's 75th anniversary season, one of the oldest opera companies uh, in in the country, uh, celebrating 75 years. Let's talk a little bit about Opera Delaware's history to start. Sure thing, sure thing. I mean, we're we're um, stretching these uh, anniversary celebrations for 14 months because, darn it, I, I think we deserve to, to, you know, celebrate a 75th anniversary. But we were um, we were started in 1945, uh, right here in uh, in Wilmington, and you know, in the early days, it was a uh, a volunteer endeavor, uh, and must have been a, a whole lot of fun to be involved with, uh, and uh, in the. In the mid-80s, we became a professional company and uh, acquired our facility down here on the riverfront. Uh, and then the other major change that has happened over the, the course of these 70 years, 75 years is that in um, 2016, we became a festival opera company, which means that essentially we, we compress our artistic output into uh, a smaller period of time, um, you know, hoping to lure opera lovers from the surrounding region to come spend a weekend with us, and uh, I'm pleased to report that that's been uh, that's been very effective for us. But we've been reinventing ourselves for every single one of those 75 years, I mm -hmm. think. And and since 2016, in addition to the festival season, you also have some smaller activities throughout the year. Yes, indeed, and I think those, uh, you know, have uh, frankly predated my involvement with the company. Uh, you know, we have this this fantastic facility on the riverfront, and I and I think um, why why would we not be using it for uh, performances as well? We have expanded those programs, and I, I like to um, I like to refer to the things that we do here as sort of the casual, more casual sort of gateway drug to opera, for lack of a better term. Uh, so in our large uh, rehearsal studio, we have these casual highlights evenings. Uh, this year they were called Opera Jukebox, where we get four or five fantastic singers and a pianist and offer some highlights. And then in the final section, the, uh, the audience gets to bid on, uh, on what they get to hear. Um, and the other uh, performance line that we have here in our facility that's, that's rather new uh, is in our newly renovated Black Box Theater. It's about a 100-seat theater uh, where we're able to sort of get off the beaten path a little bit and do a, a little more um, uh, sort of risky and interesting programming. So um, we, we started that this fall uh, with a program called Beyond Carmen, and we're actually going to have one of our festival offerings here uh, in, in the black box as well. And the logic is uh, we, we own the venue. We should be, we should be using it uh, in, in every way possible. Now, while we're on the topic of, of these kinds of performances, uh, speak to the role that Opera Delaware plays in cultivating young opera singers. Because oh, I, it's I a think great... it's, a, it's a very important role. Yeah, I, I, I talk about this all the time, actually, about the importance of companies of this size. Uh, and I think what I'm about to say is kind of amplified uh, tenfold by nature of our geography. Um, you know, the reality is uh, opera singers don't, um, 
you know, finish up at Juilliard and then just walk across the square to the Metropolitan Opera, right? There's, a, there, there's another step in the process of their development. And uh, I've given TED Talks about comparing the work that we do with AAA baseball. So, you know, you, you can see a very, very fulfilling uh, operatic experience uh, with with names that you might not know yet, and that doesn't mean that um, that they're not developed uh, fully in in any way. But it means that maybe their career hasn't quite gotten uh, you know to the level of the Metropolitan Opera. Though I'm I have to say that it's getting increasingly difficult for us to secure some of the artists that we want because they they're getting poached by the Met, <laughs> and it's hard for uh, for the artists to say say no to that. But I, I think that regional opera in general just plays a an integral part in in the development of a singer because you you know you refine your craft by doing right and it's um you don't just learn all the stuff and then uh, in school and then start uh, you know performing it on uh, on on the biggest stages so we're a, we're a, a training ground uh, you know in some sense and I think that it's um. It can be thrilling for our audiences as well, because you know there are a lot of um, big name opera singers that actually made their debut here in uh, in Delaware. Um, Eileen Perez, who's sort of the sweetheart of the Metropolitan Opera, one of the you know most in demand sopranos of our of our day, had her professional debut here. So it's uh, it's a it's a great thing, a great story for us to be able to tell, and it's really neat to see our patrons sort of almost take some ownership in that and then follow these artists uh, around the country. It reminds me of the time when I was in college and our Glee Club director encouraged us to go to a, an opera singing concert uh, one weekend because the soprano soloist was somebody who was going to be something someday, and it was Leontine Price. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that worked out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think she did okay. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So... Um, with Opera Delaware, with all these different activities, uh, how do you go about planning and scheduling? Because, I mean, what you have done in your time here is, has really been to put Opera Delaware on the international and the national, ma national and international maps of opera. Uh, talk about your programming and, and how you plan that. Yeah, it's, um, I, I wish that there were a, uh, a, a quick and clean answer to that question. Um, you know, it, 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 the priorities change um, year over year, and I would say that in 2016, when we launched the festival idea, um, it had to be work that was going to grab the attention of opera lovers uh, and, more importantly, I think critics from outside the region that were going to write about our work and validate our work. And uh, so the first two seasons of the festival were all about getting people to come to Wilmington, which um, I, I was critical, I think, to um, what, what we wanted to do. And we were able to get uh, some wonderful third-party approval. Uh, we, were, we were on the cover of the art section of the Washington Post in an article that I stand by my theory that my mother actually wrote it, and <laughs> Anne Majette just signed her name to it. I mean, it was very complimentary of the, of the work that we're doing here. But, but those priorities tend to shift, Paul. And, and um, so last year's festival, we sort of acknowledged that um, if you're not on the opera team, Right. If you don't, uh, if you're not already an aficionado, and you don't know necessarily whether Semiramide is a great 
tragic opera by Rossini or something that we take for cholesterol, uh, you know, we're, we're not really serving as many people as we could. So uh, last year's festival, we decided to take a deep dive into, into subject matters that we thought would be interesting to, to our own community. And last year's festival was, was all legal-themed, given the, the, you know, the very important uh, industry, uh, the legal industry here in our state. And, uh, you know, so that the, the planning shifts based upon what we learn each year. And, um, you know, one thing that we're doing differently this year is we're offering more performances because the feedback that we're getting is that um, by compressing our artistic output into two weekends, it's tough for some of our some of our locals to you know give that kind of real estate up in their calendar. Mm-hmm. It's a busy time of the year, and if we if we only have two performances, uh, which is generally our our um, our schedule, there's not enough time for people to even really talk about the work that we're doing and let word of mouth. Uh, help our audience grow. So, um, you know, the, the shortest answer to your question is that um, we, we, we try to listen to what our audience is telling us and then um, try to program something that is going to be more meaningful to more people in our community, um, but also to have a little bit of something for everybody. So wherever wherever you are on your journey to becoming an opera lover, you know we've got something for the for the aficionados all the way down to to someone who's just sort of curious about opera. But the the name of the game this year is is trying to just simply mean more things to more people, and uh, you know and and to introduce this art form uh, to as many people as we can. And what is your programming for this year's festival? So the programming for this year's festival, for our 75th anniversary, uh, is a festival that looks at the beginnings of opera, the height of romantic opera, and the future of opera, all under the lens of unfinished. Because, uh, you know, we didn't want our 75th anniversary to just be about patting ourselves on the back for being in business for 75 years. We wanted to make that statement that... um, you know, we're a living, breathing thing, and we're, we're always looking for what's next. So the repertoire this year, uh, we have Monteverdi's masterpiece, The Coronation of Popea, which is really our first foray into Baroque work. Uh, and, and we're going to have four performances of that at the Baby Grand, uh, at, at the Grand Opera House, the smaller 300-seat theater. Uh, and that's where we're really testing uh, you know, by offering more performances uh, do we ultimately reach more people. Uh, the centerpiece of the festival is Offenbach's Tales of Hoffmann. And then uh, the the sort of new customer acquisition piece, if you will, uh, is, a, is a new work called Speed Dating Tonight, which is by Michael Ching. And it's, it's essentially a series of vignettes where the company gets to choose which vignettes we present based upon who's involved in the company. Hmm. So I I believe to date he has written 65 uh, different individual scenes, and we just sort of pick and choose based on on, uh, what's appropriate for our artists. And the fun thing is he's even writing a couple of Delaware-specific dates for us. So um, folks, folks who uh, love Delaware and, uh, you, you know, Delaware lore may, may really delight in the date called Scrapple Virgin. They might really appreciate that one. <laughs> so, um, but they're all, they're all pieces that were unfinished in some way, shape, or form by the composer. 
uh, at least the performing uh, the performing um, editions that we know and love today were were never really seen by the composer and that holds true with speed dating because he's he's still writing it even though it's been produced uh, you know i think over a hundred times since mm-hmm. he wrote it it's sort of different every time so uh so he's still writing and am i right that monteverdi must have been one of the early opera composers if you're talking the baroque period uh yes indeed i mean it was uh it was very very early on and uh it's it's interesting because he's he's been experiencing a a bit of a renaissance uh you know and i think that um, maestro john elliott gardner is is a big uh, person to thank for that. He even sort of compares uh, Monteverdi to Shakespeare, you know, in terms of his importance to, uh, you know, to, to the art form. Uh, you know, and I'm quoting an article in The New Yorker where he says, um, both, both artists give fathomless depth to familiar tales. And, uh, yeah, but, I mean, we're, we're, talking, we're talking the very, very early days of, of opera here. I mean, over, over 400 years ago, all the way up to uh, what, what's current and, and still being written, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Well, we have more to explore, but let me first remind our listeners that you are tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. Our guest joining us by phone today is the General Director of Opera Delaware, Brendan Cook. Uh, Brendan, we've been talking about uh, your programming, your history. Before I forget, how do people find out more about Opera Delaware? Uh, the World Wide Web is a beautiful tool, www.operade.org. Okay, great. Thanks. Now, I, I want to turn to uh, uh, some amazing accomplishments you've had on the national scene. Uh, recognition from the National Endowment for the Arts recently with uh, grants to uh, help support some programming that you've been doing nationally on radio. Could you talk about uh, how y- y- the recognition of what Opera Delaware has accomplished is now putting you on the national scene? Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, you know, we've been very, uh, very fortunate to have uh, five years in a row now of Artworks grants from, from the NEA and to throw some sh- sunshine in your direction, of course. I mean, the support from the DDOA is critical to our, uh, to our work as well. Um, but it was two years ago now that we were invited to participate in um, a nationally syndicated broadcast um, that is managed by the WFMT network out of Chicago. And essentially uh, what they do is that when the, when the Metropolitan Opera isn't in season and not doing their live Saturday broadcasts, they syndicate material from, from other uh, opera companies because they think that a lot of the public radio stations are accustomed to having opera in that slot. So they, uh, they, they keep that programming going throughout the year. And uh, we were invited two years ago to send our archival recording of Rossini's Semiramide, uh, and it, it, it was very, very well received to the point where last year they invited us to participate in, uh, in three different broadcasts. And, you know, for us to be able to have that sort of national stage of going into more than, 
you know, 750,000 radios has just been, uh, has been really extraordinary for us to have that kind of uh, exposure. And I, I can't imagine a better institutional marketing opportunity in terms of, uh, you know, getting into the ears of opera lovers and, uh, you know, enticing them to, co- to come to Wilmington. And, um, you know, one of the really fun things about that project uh, that we've been able to do is uh, sort of control some of the intermission content to, to an extent and talk about a lot of the other great things that are going on here in, in Wilmington. So, you know, not only has it been, been good for us, but we've, we've really been able to sort of um, draw some attention to the, what you and I know is an embarrassment of riches uh, in terms of cult- cultural assets here in this, in this uh, small and wonderful state. Yeah, let me ask you this. Have you, as a result of these broadcasts, gotten any kind of feedback from people who have heard Opera Delaware on the radio that might not have otherwise heard you? Yeah, we we have. I mean, some of some of my favorite stories. Uh, we I actually got an email during the broadcast of Semiramide uh, from from a gentleman who was a former board member of Opera Delaware, but but moved away, and we had sort of uh, lost touch. And, you know, he, he sort of really took that as the, uh, you know, as the impetus to get back in touch and shared how, how proud he was uh, of the organization. And, and it really just made him feel great about his, uh, his previous involvement. I've fielded some calls from, from critics uh, who called to say that they really enjoyed what they, what they heard and, and wanted to make sure that we got, um, uh, you know, that they got Opera Delaware on their itinerary uh, for the spring. So um, it, it's not often, Paul, you know, in in this crazy and most expensive of all art forms, where I mentioned before that it's, you know, it's it's so complex and expensive to produce that we we really only get to do two performances of each production. It's very rare that we get to share any of that content, uh, you know, after the fact. We don't really. This opera is not really for us streamable. You know, mm-hmm. you can't right. uh, you can't pause it. So the you know the opportunity to to walk down memory lane a little bit and the opportunity to really shine a light on the on the work that our artists have been doing. Uh, you know, it's just a it's a feel good project all you know all around. But it you know I think it really has brought some some new people into the fold who maybe were were on the fence about whether or not to give uh, give Opera Delaware a try. Uh, it, it's just a great sort of validation um for um uh, for for the work that we're doing so it's it's been a wonderful project well and i i think it's a great introduction to opera delaware but i i know you and i have talked in the past about this that opera is perhaps one of the most multidisciplinary art forms uh there is because it intertwines music with theater with dance and and the visual arts could you could you speak to that and and the value of seeing opera live Sure, sure. Well, I, I mean, I think there's there's nothing like it, frankly. Uh, you know, in that it, it really is, it really is just as you said. It's it's the collaboration of of all the art forms, and I think that what you see on stage uh, is really just the the tip of the iceberg, right? And if you can go into the theater with that in mind, that you know what you're seeing is really the culmination of thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of collective work. You know, not even including what the artisans have had to do to prepare, you know, the, the set designers, the costume designers, the, the wig and makeup designers, they, they all have honed their craft, right? And then they come here and they spend all of this time and metabolic capital, if you will, for something that really only exists for two and a half hours. 
and if you're not there, you know, it's it's not something that you can you can catch later. So I I think although it's expensive to produce, I think as a as a consumer and as a patron, it it is one of the biggest value propositions that that you can imagine in the arts and. Um, Magical things happen in live performance, as you know, and uh, you can come to the same production two nights in a row and have a totally different experience based upon uh, you know any number of, of factors. So I think I think the payoff for live theater uh, is incredibly enormous if if uh, you know if you if you give it a shot. But uh, I think that anything today that requires you to show up at a prescribed place at a prescribed time, uh, you know, has its, its challenges. But again, I think that when you, uh, when you make that commitment to corner off a piece of your life and spend it with us in the theater, uh, you know, that, that investment is, is almost instantaneously very richly rewarded. So uh, to me, there's, there's just nothing like it. And it's a, it's a thrill and it's, it's worth all the effort, even the, even the things that the, the, that the uh, patrons don't see. You know that have happened before they get there. We've got about a minute and a half left, and this is maybe too big of a question to ask in the time that's left. <laughs> and be kind, because you know my background is musical theater. Could you talk about the the crossover between and the distinctions between opera and musical theater? Sure. You know, lots of people, Paul, have uh, lots of different viewpoints on that, and uh, you know, some of my friends and colleagues might uh, might take take me to task for what I'm about to say. Um, you know, I think there are pieces that are sort of in the middle of that Venn diagram that, mm-hmm. that could go either direction. But if I had to summarize it in, in, in a minute or less, uh, you know, by and large, musical theater is a text-driven art form, and a, a, you know, whereas opera is maybe more of a musically-driven mm-hmm. art form. You know, and the other primary distinction that I would say is that, you know, when you're just looking at the singing, um, musical theater, with the exception of, like, the golden age of musical theater, is generally amplified, right. and opera, opera is not. So it requires a, a different technique. There are, uh, there are a lot of intersecting skills that are needed in both, but I think if you had to zero it into one thing, opera singers, uh, you know, hurl their voice over a full orchestra into a full theater without the aid of amplification. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is one technique. And then uh, musical theater, by and large, uh, has a different vocal palette to choose from because they have the benefit of amplification. So it's much more complex than that, but that's the 60-second version. (laughs) Okay, and with that, we'll wrap up. Brendan Cook, the General Director of Opera Delaware, thank you so much for joining us. For our listeners, go to operade.org to learn more about Opera Delaware's 75-year history and the upcoming uh, Spring Festival. Thanks so much, Brendan. Paul, thanks for having me. What What a blast to talk to you today. Likewise.